Hello, America. I'm Robert Reese, and welcome to CEO Show. We're here today with Ron Wiener. How are you, Ron? I am very well, thank you. Nice to see you. A pleasure seeing you again. And Ron is the president and chairman of Perelson Wiener. And there are a lot of accounting firms in the world and tax accounting firms. But talk specifically, you have a a different model on how you operate and what your focus is. Talk about that specifically. Sure. Um, We are quite different than any other CPA firm that I know of. And it goes back to 1997 after we had formed the firm as a result of a merger between Sam Perelson's firm and my firm. And we merged in 1994, but by 1997, we saw the beginnings of what has become an ongoing process of the commoditization of professional services by CPA firms, but also in other professional service firms uh, throughout. And we made a decision then with our partners that we did not want to be a commodity. We wanted to be in the knowledge business. And we decided, we and our partners, of which there were eight of us, uh, and we decided that the way to do it was to interact with our clients to a greater degree than is the norm. And each of our partners committed to providing not less than 1,500 hours of client service to our clients. It was really unanticipated what would happen because of that. But because our partners are deeply involved with our clients, we proceeded to attract ever more successful people who were seeking to be able to get good advice from people who knew what they were talking about through experience. And that process has continued to today. And with that came a structure that is much more like a, let's call it, smaller consulting firm in that we have a two-to-one staff-to-partner ratio as opposed to firms that are trying to be 10 to 25 to one. If you're 10 to 25 to one, the role of a partner is largely to drive adherence to firm policies with significant siloing of their areas of professional knowledge. We, on the other hand, believe in a much more holistic approach And we have a two-to-one ratio, which enables us and our partners to interact with clients who are seeking people who know what they're talking about, as opposed to just speaking to somebody at a much younger age who is really reporting to their CFO or their CEO. So we represent entrepreneurs, the businesses they own, high net worth families, as well as non-U.S. entities doing business in the United States which includes one of the sovereign wealth funds out of the Middle East. So it's an evolution and it's ongoing. And what's interesting is you have been able to build the culture shaped on the philosophy you had. Well, I had a a wonderful learning experience going way back uh, in the late 1970s. And I've been running firms for 50 years. In the late 1970s, Uh, I took a program at Harvard Business School, and it was a nine-week program spread into three three three-week periods. And I had a professor who I became close with 
by the name of uh, Renato Tajuri, now long deceased. And he told me something because I was having a very stressful relationship and I wanted to address it and resolve it constructively. And he said, in human relationships, first of all, most people are who they are by the time they're 40. <clears throat> and in addition, he said, you have three choices in human relationships. You can either leave it as it is, you can terminate it, or you can try to figure out how to optimize a person's strengths and contain their weaknesses. Well, it caused me to change my management style and substance to trying to help people optimize their strengths and finding ways to contain their weaknesses because none of us are perfect. And with that, and with the merger uh, that created Perelson Wiener, we now have a firm where we have eight equity partners who have been together over 30 years on average. We have 12 non-equity partners who have been together somewhere around 15 to 20 years on average. And we have a very low turnover rate with our staff, though we have some pretty strict criteria for what we want when we hire someone. And you and I have spoken before about your leadership philosophy, and you've delineated between the words smart and wise. Talk about that. Well, you've given me the opportunity to say one of my very favorite expressions. And it is the definition of a difference between a smart person and a wise person. And the differential is, is that a smart person can solve problems for themselves and those around them that a wise person would have never gotten into in the first place. So we are in the business of helping our clients and ourselves gain wisdom. And that actually brings me to another quote that I like, if I may. And that is from the ever famous Yogi Berra, who said, if you see a fork in the road, take it. And there's a lot to be said for taking the fork in the road, but the difference between a successful entrepreneur and a less successful one is that when the successful one takes a fork in the road and it's a mistake, they correct it much faster. So would it be correct to say that reputation is at the forefront of everything for you? And I want to talk about first reputation, your personal reputation, as a leader where you've been in a leadership role for actually 50 years, 28 years with your current firm, which is very rare, but also you're on numerous boards. So let's just talk about the concept of reputation. Well, I think that reputation, a little bit like making money, uh, is a consequence, it's not a predicate. And the question then becomes, what is it a consequence of? And it's really a matter of human interaction. And I had a very interesting life experience way back when I was on the AICPA's Management Accounting Practice Committee. And I was asked to give a seminar, and which I did. And then we had another speaker which followed. And it was clear that he was losing the audience and he was getting very frustrated. So I was asked to speak to him about it. And I said, you look very frustrated. And he said, yes, I am. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, I'm saying exactly what I want to say. And they're just not getting it. 
And I said to him, well, I think that you don't quite understand. The purpose of speaking is not to say what you want to say. It's to enable other people to hear what you want them to hear. And that is a very different criteria. So learning how, and by the way, this comes back to being involved in all of these different organizations I've been involved in, the responsibility is to is speak responsibly in a way that enables people to hear what you want them to hear. And that doesn't mean not speaking to the issue. In fact, you have a responsibility to speak to the issue, but you need to speak to it constructively. So I, I want to talk about community involvement and philanthropy. And obviously, your, your, your firm, you know, I've written 350 articles for Forbes, and you have been cited as America's uh, top tax accounting firm. And, but a lot of your work ties into philanthropy from the high net worth, from the entrepreneurs who've maybe had a transaction, maybe they have 144, 145 restricted stock. But you've been deeply involved in all types of community elements. Talk about your thoughts on community and philanthropy. Well, where do I begin? I view it all having been and continues to be a privilege and with enormous benefit. Uh, the enormous benefit on my side of the table, it has brought me to interact with people that I never would have interacted with beforehand and learning about how they function and how I can communicate with them in a way that is constructive even when we disagree. So I've drawn an enormous benefit from doing that. And with that, if I could just rattle off a couple of things, I was very fortunate. I went to Babson College and that was a very peculiar place when I went there. I uh, graduated at the age of 20 uh, and then went to work for one of the big four accounting firms. It was back then a big eight and uh, then continued to evolve. But I got involved in community activity because I found work in and of itself uh, was too constricting. And by being involved, it was important to me to be able to make a difference in one sense or another. Not to be in a leadership role, but just to do a good job, whatever I got involved in. And that's evolved over the decades uh, to my having been in a whole series of leadership positions uh, and now being a trustee emeritus of a number of uh, significant organizations after having been president of some of them. Um, each one of these have brought me in contact with people I wouldn't have otherwise known. And it's really been a blessing. Uh, I would also say going back to when I was young and I served in the, uh, uh, in the military, I think that having served in the military was also a very positive experience because it brought me in contact with people I would have never otherwise met. And the more I've been in contact with more people, the more I've learned to value other people and their values. And also to recognize that when our values don't fit, there's no point of being there. So it's been a lifelong learning process where I've benefited tremendously 
and I've had the privilege of helping make a difference in other people's lives as well. So in the end, uh, what I can say that I feel very strongly is no matter how much traveling I do, and I've been in close to 100 countries, um, it's ultimately all about people. And that's where I draw my satisfaction, and it's where I draw my interest, and occasionally it's where I draw my aggravation. But it all goes together, and it's worth the price. This is Robert Grease on The CEO Show. When we come back with Ron, we are going to talk about advice to CEOs. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese on The CEO Show, where we interview the CEOs who have reinvented the fabric of America. We're privileged to be here today with Ron Wiener, who is the president and chairman of Perelson Wiener. And this is a accounting firm that is unlike any other one from how they're structured, how they're focused. And also what you do is, is you give advice very frequently, and your advice seems to help people clarify their choices. So let's talk about CEOs because you are known for working with high net worth, for entrepreneurs, for CEOs. Talk about specifically the type of advice that you give them and how that enables them to make choices. Well, I think that the primary objective of giving advice is not to win the argument uh, or to have an argument. It's to enable the recipient to better understand what their choices are. And I think that our role, first and foremost, is that because everybody is different and everybody has different values. And those values need to be respected. At the same time, it's critically important that when there is an issue that we speak to what we believe to be the correct decision, not because the other party is necessarily wrong, but we just can't be an advice giver. And we have to be proactive and we have to be able to see what the point of giving the advice is. Then again, it's the client's choice to be able to accept or reject or consider and help us, help them bring it to a path that's consistent with their values and their objectives. And what I find all too often is that people focus on the path as opposed to focusing on the objective. And it's a much better way uh, to operate, to focus, I think, on the objective as opposed to being consumed by the path. So when you, when you have your, your team, you've talked about how they're highly selected and specifically they come to you because they want to be part of this model of people who hopefully are wise and helping others think clearly. Um, you have tremendous longevity in them, not, not only for one, your longevity of just with this one firm leading for 28 years, but 50 years in total, but all of the people who stay at Perelson have been there years and years and years. What is the secret to that of building a great culture of really smart people who probably will not always agree with each other? Well, I don't want to pretend 
that there's uh, a secret sauce. Uh, but over time, we have refined who we are and what our values are. And the values, my wife describes this place as being like Noah's Ark. Uh, we have two of everything. And I think that's pretty apt. But on the other hand, we have uh, common values, even though we're very different people, but our core values are very common. And we have a hiring criteria that I'm actually quite proud of. And that is, is first and foremost, the people we seek to hire uh, are smart. With that, they also have to have a strong work ethic. And then thirdly, and no less importantly, they have to be nice. And when you take those three factors together, uh, it creates opportunity because we communicate more easily because there's mutual respect. But it's also because smart people have the ability to continue learning. And going back to the prior segment of our discussion, they have the capacity to learn to become wise. And that's an ongoing life experience. So the commitment to learning is never ending. Final question. Tell me about the future. What might be in the cards? Well, that's a very interesting question also. I am now, I was always the youngest at everything I did. I mentioned before I graduated college at 20, high school at 17. I was a management consultant at uh, 22. I had to lie about my age because she didn't want to tell clients that they were being advised what to do by a 22-year-old. And it always was that I was the youngest at everything I did. And suddenly, I am now 77 and no longer the youngest at everything I do. But as long as I maintain my mental acuity and physical capability and the quality of relationships that I'm privileged to have, I intend to keep on doing what I'm doing, uh, which also involves continuing to meet a very broad range of people, as well as sustaining relationships with people who have meant a great deal to me. So it's life goes on, uh, but it goes on not because I'm being pushed through any door, but rather because I have doors that are open and I like walking through them, which almost brings me back to my earlier quote about Yogi Berra. So it's been an interesting life and it's very important to me to live an interesting life. Last comment on this subject. Sometimes I sit in a meeting and people will say, well, they go around the table and I say, what do you do for a living? And every so often I decide to play with the words because they go around rather than saying that I'm a CPA and some people think that essentially an accountant is like an actuary with no personality. Um, I'll respond by saying I'm an eclectician. And that's the way I try to live my life with a lot of eclectic aspects. Uh, on that inspiring note, and you are the first out of over a thousand CEOs I've interviewed who has ever shared that one word. What a pleasure it is having you on the CEO show, Ron. Well, thank you for taking the time with me. And all the CEOs out there, think about this. If you want to succeed, focus on people who are smart, work hard, and are nice. And on a final note, don't focus on the path. Focus on the objective. <laughs>